Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy, and I am pleased to bring to you Chapter 26 of the Book of Eov. Vayan Eov Vayomar. In this brief response to Bildad's even shorter statement in Chapter 25, Eov says that their advice and their wisdoms have been essentially useless drivel. First of all, because God is beyond any of them, and because Eov is fully aware of God's awesomeness, thank you very much. Following that, where Eov's companions talked about God's greatness, more or less just to counter Eov and explain why he's suffering and why he should consider himself small and useless, Eov will talk about God's greatness in a way that goes beyond what the friends have stated previously, proving again that their claiming to understand how God works is completely false. What help did you give with your impotence in saving or attempting to save with a powerless arm? What help did you did you give with your ignorance with all your stated advice? Meaning you chose quantity over quality or in a modern vernacular, those who know don't talk and those who talk like you don't know. At me he got it me Who are you saying all these words to? And from whom did you get the words that are coming out of you? In other words, who do you think you're speaking to? Someone that could be fooled by the nonsense nonsense coming out of you that you're trying to sell as having heard from God? You're talking to me, and I know exactly where you're coming from. The next nine verses explore God's power with the kind of tone and respect that the friend should have used all along. And in fact, it's with a kind of tone and respect that Eov himself has not used previously. And that will show that there's a change coming in the book in general, although we're not quite there yet. The first two verses talk about God's control of the underworld, of the process of death and dying. The hey here, by the way, is not a hey hasheila, it's not a question, but it's the word the, harifaim, the dead quake in fear, along with the ones who dwell underneath the waters. I'm translating cholalu from the word chil, which means to have contractions or to have seizures. Arom sha'ol negdo ve'en kisut la'avadon. Sha'ol is naked before him, avadon has no cover. Sha'ol and avadon, or avadon, um, and avadon comes from the word avad, to be lost or to be destroyed, are, are, are personifications of death and loss, meaning the entirety of the process is exposed to God, with the image being the uh, the uh, demon or the supernatural creature that's in charge of Sha'ol and Abaddon, are naked before God's power. This verse talks of, the next verse that is, talks to God's control of the earth, in a positive sense, rather than an, in a negative and destructive way that we've heard from Job before, especially what he said in chapter 9, where he said, He uproots the mountains and they disappear, which he overturned in his anger. But here in chapter 26, the exact opposite is conveyed. He dangles Tzaphon on nothing and hangs the earth on nothingness. I, I think he means, when he says Tzaphon, I think he's referring to Mount Tzaphon, which is a massive mountain in what is now um, northeast Syria. And to the Phoenicians in their mythology, 
um, it was the Phoenicians who lived on the western coast of the Mediterranean in Lebanon and uh, in eastern Syria. It was uh, to them, the Mount Safon was to them what Mount Olympus was to the Greeks, both in a physical sense as well as in a supernatural sense. And the overall meaning here is that the massive earth, the most massive portions of the earth, only maintain their ability to stand because God suspends them as if by wires which are anchored to nothing, to thin air. Up from the mountains, we turn to God's benevolent control of the water cycle. He binds waters in the storm clouds. The clouds do not crack open beneath them. He covers the face of the seat. He spreads his clouds over it. If the word kisei, which is spelled with a hey here rather than an alf, although it's the same thing, means skies, which many commentaries say that it's just a synonym for the the word sky, then the point is that God is able to create this massive spread of clouds which covers up all of the skies, uh, you know, as far as the eye can see. However, there may be a supernatural sense that we may be talking about God's throne, meaning his control seat from where he sits and controls the world. And that seat is obscured by God. That is, it, it really blocks anybody from being able to perceive him and how he does his work. Eov now expands on, uh, essentially what Eov is doing is expanding God's might in every direction, from under the earth where we started, then to the massive mountains of the north, and then from the oceans up to the clouds and the heavens. And next in verse 10, we're going to cast our eyes far out to the horizon. Chok chag al penei mayim atachlit or im choshech. He sets a limit to the circle that is on the face of the water until the point where life Light meets darkness. This beautiful image, which I assure you my English translation doesn't come close to expressing what the Hebrew does, but let me see if I could explain it. Uh, the beautiful image is what you see when you look out uh, to uh, out upon the ocean and all the way to the horizon as the sun is setting into the sea, and there are layers overlapping of light and darkness um, uh, all across the horizon. The horizon appears to be a dome, and that's why the word chog or chag circle is used here. Amudei shamayim yirofafu mehu migarato. When the pillars of the skies wobble, he astonishes them with his rebuke. And this is also a sign of his benefic- beneficence. That is, when the sky looks like it's going to fall, God rebukes it and stops it in its track, which he brings normalcy and control back to nature. With his strength, he chops up the sea. With his understanding, meaning um, the action that he takes based on his understanding of the dangers of those uncontrolled oceans, he smashes Rahav. Rahav was a supernatural master of the seas, and in fact the word Yam was also a god of the seas. Um, and as I mentioned in earlier lessons, it, the the... Israelite religion, which is an omnipotent, God is omnipotent and a pure monotheistic religion, had long ago relegated all of these supernatural creatures, uh, which really have their source in Phoenician and, and in uh, Mesopotamian lore. Um, it had really relegated all of these supernatural creatures into the trash heap, uh, which was created by their monotheism. Therefore, uh, the poet here is safely invoking them in order to evoke God's power over the sea, controlling it, 
in his desire to protect his own creations. The poet can use these supernatural terms without feeling that people would think he was an idol worshiper, much the way that I might say, you know, I could walk on, a person could walk on water without necessarily thinking that, uh, that Jesus is a god. With his spirit, or perhaps literally with the wind that comes from God, the heavens are cleared. Shifra is an Aramaic word meaning beautiful or, or clear. He hollows out the hinged serpent, or perhaps he destroys or kills the hinged serpent. This also recalls the famous myth of the serpent that surrounds the world in an attempt to devour it, and that God controls this serpent, or actually rips it apart and uses its hide to fashion out the skies and create the world. Behold, these are only a few of his ways, and what inkling can be heard in them? But the thunder of his might, that is his true power, who can really comprehend? This is clearly a slight at his companions, and in fact, he uses the word Shemetz, no doubt, to mock Eliphaz, the leader and first speaker of his friends, who said it all the way back in chapter 4, the very beginning of the speech, that uh, he himself had re- received a Shemetz, an inkling directly from God in some form of prophecy. Uh, and that therefore he was able to understand God. And he's saying, you think you, you I've just told you more than you've already told me. And even that is not even an inkling of what God is capable to do. And what he really wants to say is, I also know that, that this is a minute portion of what there is to understand about God's ways. But I don't pawn myself off as an expert. I just want to have words with him. I just want to have God explain to me why I deserve all this ruination. And you know even less than me, and yet you claim to have a mastery of what God is all about. What's interesting here, again, as as I mentioned before, is that Eov is describing God as benevolent. All of these things that we've seen are really positive, uh, as if uh, as if God cares for his creations and wants to do the right and does the right thing by them which is something that he's been struggling with before because he hasn't seen how God has been beneficent at all, how God has been has not been just in the way he's treating them. And this starts to create a sea change in the mood of the book and how Eob will talk. But first, before we get there, we will come to chapter 27, which is the last chapter of the discourse with his companions, and Eob will roast them over the fires.